Welcome to the 60th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to talk about UFC Fight Night Marlon Chito Vera versus Rob Font. After that, we are going to talk about some fight bookings that have gone public, and those are some really good fights, so I'm interested to talk about those. And that is going to be it for today. Um, the plan is to post again on Thursday or Friday, Friday at the latest, with a UFC 274 preview. So I want to go back to doing some of those. That way it's not one big long episode. Um, two shorter ones uh, coming out in different times of the week. I think that's a little bit better format. And... Um, my apologies, I'm not recording over the last couple of weeks. I had my computer breakdown, and then I had finals, so we got backed up and missed some, but we are back just in time because there are some good fights to talk about. And first on that list, like I said, Marlon Chito Vera versus Rob Font. And for Chito Vera, this marks several fights in a row now that he has put on incredible performances. He looked very good against Rob Font, and he looked very good against Frankie Edgar. And in this fight, Rob Font did have some success, right? He won the first round, and he was landing some strikes um, early on. Cheeto was doing a good job of landing the leg kicks to really um, set, I don't want to say set the pace, but um, so he can, he can go back on those later in the fight. And then coming into round two, Font was having some success still. And then Cheeto landed a really nice hook and dropped him. And then from there, it was all Cheeto, all Cheeto in terms of big strikes um, and, and really significant strikes. He landed a flying knee. He landed two big sidekicks. One got him a knockdown and he landed several really strong hooks. So he was the one landing the more powerful and impactful strikes. Uh, Rob Font did still walk forward and, and throw a lot of punches. He was he was digging to the body as well. And he didn't really have anything to show for his activity afterwards other than his significant strike numbers um, looked good. But um, obviously, he ended up losing 49-43. So this is a good example of a fight where, hey, one guy really landed a lot of strikes, but would you rather be the guy who lands a lot of jabs and, and a lot of body shots without being able to land any power shots, or would you rather be the guy who's able to find those big shots and get some knockdowns? And that is exactly what Cheetah was able to do, and he took those uh, power shots right to a victory. And... This is a very, like I said, a very, very strong performance from Cheeto. And this really puts him at a different level, right? When when he beat Sean O'Malley, there were a lot of people saying that, oh, it didn't really matter because of the way he beat him. When he beat Frankie Edgar, he was beating an established veteran. However, Frankie was on the opposite end of some bad losses and... Coming into this fight with Rob Font, yeah, Rob Font lost his last fight, but that was to Jose Aldo. So Rob Font being a top five opponent, a, a respected guy, for Cheeto to be able to come in and do this, it put him in a really good spot in his career and really advanced him forward. So all credit to Cheeto for that. 
And now we turn towards what is next for Cheeto. And Cheeto's in an interesting spot because he just beat the number five guy in the rankings. And he is going to jump up to at least the sixth slot, I assume. Um, I think him and Marab are going to be at five and six. And I'm going to be interested to see who they decide to put at five and who they decide to put at six. I, I right now, would rank Marlon ahead of uh, Marab just because he has that win over Rob Font when Marab's best win is Marlon Marais. So just based off the better win, I would I would edge that to Cheeto Vera. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the matchmakers decide that Marab is the higher-ranked guy. doesn't really make that big of a difference at the end of the day. And looking for what's next for Cheeto Vera, he has a couple of options. Um, looking at guys who would be ahead of him in the rankings, Corey Sandhagen is probably the only one that he'd be able to get booked against. Right now, there's an interesting thing going on with the title. Um, as of right now, it looks as if Aljamain is going to fight Jose Aldo next, um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Aljamain takes on TJ Dillashaw. So it's going to be one of those two guys fighting for the belt next. And I think Piotr Jan fights the other of the two. Even though Jose Aldo and Piotr Jan have already fought, I think that they would look to book that rematch for, um, for Piotr and for Aldo. Because if Piotr doesn't fight Aldo, then he's looking at Sandhagen, who he's already fought as well. And then you'd be looking at Font, and I really don't think they're going, or excuse me, you'd be looking at Cheeto, and I really don't think they're looking to push Cheeto all the way up to that number one spot. So, I um, I imagine the way things pan out is Aljamain versus Aldo, Jan versus Dillashaw. Those are two really good fights. That leaves you with Corey Sanhagen as the top um, unmatched opponent. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is the fight, Cheeto versus Corey Sanhagen. However, I wouldn't be surprised if they go Sandhagen versus Dominic Cruz. And in that scenario, you would be looking at Cheeto versus Marab instead. So I think those are the names to look at um, for Cheeto, whether it be Sandhagen, Marab, or Dominic Cruz. I think those are the three guys that stand out the most in terms of who his next opponent will be. On the other hand, you have Rob Font. And I think Rob Font really needs to take some time off. He got beat up pretty badly in that fight. Just just pure aesthetically, he was cut up pretty bad. He was swollen pretty bad. And he's going to need to take some time for, at minimum, those cuts to heal up. He had, he had a couple of pretty deep cuts that I think are going to take a minute to heal. So that's first things first. Um, and this is also not the first time this has happened. When he lost to Jose Aldo, Aldo won that fight in a pretty dominant fashion as well. So I think Rob Font is going to take a minute and, and readjust here. However, when he does come back, I think he's going to be looking at someone um, of the likes of a, a Song Yudong, possibly a Pedro Munoz, also not a bad fight, maybe a Frankie Edgar. I think those guys are probably the tier of fighter that you're going to see Rob Font against. Um, sitting there at 9, 9, and 11 with uh, Song Yidong and Moonhouse tied in the 9 slot. 
And so I think those are the, going to be the guys for um, for Rob Font. Um, the one guy I wouldn't necessarily take out of the equation is Dominic Cruz. I think Cruz versus Font is an interesting fight stylistically and would be fun to watch. So I wouldn't necessarily axe that out of the equation yet. Um, now, moving on to the co-main event, we had Andre Arlovsky versus Jake Collier. Now, um, this is a really interesting fight. And a lot of people are really discussing the scoring of this. I'm not going to go too in depth of this into the scoring because if you are familiar with my with my thought on the scoring of fights, I really don't like to sit and argue um, how fights are scored because I think it is really subjective at the end of the day, and I don't necessarily find it productive. Um, however, what we can pick up from this fight. Um, is some of some of the things we saw skill-wise from each guys. Uh, Jake Collier ca came out and, and was landing some some good shots early. He landed a couple of really nice overhands, and as the fight progressed, he started to land those a little bit less frequently. Um, Andre started to adjust to those and started to slip and, and get out of the way of some of those. But early on, Jake was doing a great job landing those. He, he also did a nice job landing some elbows in the clinch and in close distance and that's always a nice tool to have especially at heavyweight um this fight was kind of difficult to watch just because of the headbutts i mean both guys would lower their head and they'd end up donking each other on the head and then the ref has to step in um i don't remember who the ref is off the top of my head but it's like oh come on we got to get these headbutts sorted out but at the end of the day what, what can you do about it and in the large scheme of things, I think Andre Orlovsky and Jake Collier are both in a really good spot in this heavyweight division. They're both in different spots, but neither of them are necessarily in a bad spot. Uh, that win pushes Andre Orlovsky's win streak to a decent number. I'm giving just a second and I will pull that up. But at his age, at 43, Andre Orlovsky has a really, really solid spot in this heavyweight division. Okay, Andre Arlovsky has won four in a row. Um, his most recent loss was a loss to Tom Aspinall. Prior to that, he had two wins. So he is 6-1 and one in his last seven with a four-fight win streak, and that dates back to um, early, early to mid-2020. So he has been on a really good streak, Andre Arlovsky has. And while Andre Arlovsky is not going to fight for a UFC belt ever again, probably, I think that's safe to say, he still has a solid spot in this heavyweight division, taking on guys like Jake, who aren't ranked yet, but I could see Jake eventually getting some wins together and getting an opportunity against a ranked opponent, um, especially if he would have beat Andre Arlovsky there. And so I think, I think Andre Arlovsky is going to have... A, a decently long career still at heavyweight fighting guys who might not be in the top 15 but guys who are in that 15 to 20 to 25 range uh, just outside the rankings I think that's where Andre Arlovsky is going to stay um, however if he if Andre does keep tallying up wins maybe he does get a ranked opponent and does try and climb his way back into the rankings but from what we've seen from Arlovsky the trend has been beat up guys who are not ranked and then lose to the ranked opponent. 
uh, last two losses being Aspinall and being Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And if you go and look at his resume, it really only loses to the highest tier of heavyweight. So um, I think he's going to stay at that level for a minute here. Um, but um, I'm not necessarily sure that he fights for a belt or fights high in the rankings anytime soon. And then on the opposite side, we had Jake Collier. And Jake is, I really like how he fights at heavyweight. And I think his style at heavyweight can really get him some wins. Uh, he lands big shots. He's effective in the clinch. And he's very quick as well. Coming up from the lighter weight classes, I don't remember if he fought at 170 or 185 prior to um, heavyweight. But he was, he was down there in weight. And he put on some weight, but he kept a decent amount of his speed. He's obviously not as fast, but if you can keep any speed from, from a transition to from a lighter weight class to heavyweight, that's going to be beneficial. And he utilizes that well to help him land shots. Um, like I said, he's effective inside. And he also uses his size. He's on the bigger side of heavyweight, and he uses that side or uses that size, excuse me, to get inside and, and get some control time in the clinch. And that's big at heavyweight because, you know, those guys, sometimes a guy will say, all right, you know, I, I've thrown quite a few strikes. Let me get inside. Let me push this guy up against the fence and, and give me a second to recover. And that is beneficial if you can do that. It's also beneficial if you can get off the, get off the fence. And I think Jake does both of those things pretty well. And if you're not defending takedowns, he will take you down um, if he's got you up against the fence. And so I like his potential at heavyweight. Uh, with that being a loss, he's still he's going to have to win a couple fights before he is in there with ranked opponents. But I think eventually Jake could make a run at some ranked competition um, pretty soon um, in the long scheme of, of fighting. And then the last fight we are going to talk about from UFC Fight Night is Andre Feely versus Joe Anderson Brito. And not really much to talk about here. Uh, Joe Anderson Brito comes in, throws a nice double jab with the right hand over top. And I really, you know, is a, he's able to knock out Andre Feely. And I, I don't really have much to say here. I just wanted to highlight that very strong performance by Joe Anderson Brito because I thought he looked really good. And getting a win over Andre Feely holds weight in that 145-pound division, So, um, especially if you can do it in 40 seconds. So I really wanted to highlight that. And then some quick, we're going to quickly go through some other performances here. Grant Dawson had a nice, nice fight against Jared Gordon. He looked really good, gets the submission win. That pushes his win streak to... 8 or 11 or something, something wild. Grant Dawson is doing a really good job, and he is really working up the rankings, and uh, he will be fighting ranked competition eventually. Darren Elkins adds another win to his resume in a very Darren Elkins-style fight. He is able to get a decision victory. He almost got a finish, had a really deep rear naked choke, landed a lot of good strikes, some good ground and pound, he did a great job against Tristan Connolly in this one. Christoph Jotko had a really good fight against Gerald Merchardt. He's able to go out there and get a unanimous decision win. Alexander Romanov 
he submitted Chase Sherman. He was a massive favorite in this fight, so he got the job done. He moves to 16-0. He will eventually be fighting ranked opponents. He called out John Jones. Um, I hate to break it to you. He is not going to get that John Jones fight. However, I do anticipate him fighting ranked opponents also very soon. Um, he has wins on his resume against Chase Sherman, Jared Vandera, Marcos Rodrero de Lima, Juan Espino, and Roque Martinez. All some pretty good names in terms of UFC heavyweights that are not ranked guys. Those are some pretty recognizable names for anyone who doesn't know. So he uh, he did a good job there. And um, he has also had bouts booked against Tanner Bozer and Elir Latifi. So that shows the UFC is really high on him as a fighter. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a ranked opponent in his next bout, um, but he may also be one fight away. Francisco Figueredo, the brother of Devison Figueredo, got himself a knee bar submission, so congratulations to him. And then the we had Gabe Green, got a nice KO over Johan Lenesi. Um, Nathan Levy got a unanimous decision victory, and... Shanna Young also got a finish in the first fight of the night. So that's kind of a full recap of um, the fights. Good amount of good amount of fights, good amount of finishes. Not a crazy card, but um, there were some good things going on. Moving on to the fight bookings. We have eight fight announcements. We have one weight class change, and we have one kind of update slash potential fight um, to discuss. So, first off, we have Kelvin, and before we get into this, my apologies, we're going to take these fight bookings by date. Um, So, sometimes we do it by date, sometimes we do it by best fight first. Um, This scenario, since there's so many, and several of these are on the same card, card, we're going to go by date. Um, With the first fight, we're going to talk about June 18th, actually two fights booked for June 18th, the first being Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett. This fight is the main event, so this is going to be five rounds. And when I first heard the news, Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett, my head went two ways. First thing I thought was, oh my God, that fight's going to be ridiculous. Second thing I thought was, this better be five rounds, and we get it at five rounds. So that is good matchmaking by the UFC. These guys are ranked. Let me see. Kelvin Cater is ranked fourth. Josh Emmett is ranked seventh. And I think that at the at the 145 pound division, um, Josh Emmett is even though he's ranked seventh. The guys ahead of ahead of him are Arnold Allen and the Korean Zombie at five and six. Very talented division. And this fight is going to hold a lot of weight in the overall scheme of the 145-pound weight class. Um, the winner of this is probably going to be looking at someone like Yaya Rodriguez, Brian Ortega. They're they're going to get a big-time fight. Maybe the Korean Zombie. So the winner of this is going to be in a really good position moving forward. But more importantly, 
this fight has fight of the year potential. Um, Kelvin Cater, you could hit Kelvin Cater with a bus and he'd get up and, and start throwing haymakers at you. Um, Josh Emmett will be more than willing to throw haymakers, but Kelvin Cater also has that power to put you out. Um, I really like this fight. I really like both these fighters. So um, I'm not going to give a prediction just yet because it's so far away. But right now, I, I will I will say that this fight is going to be quite entertaining. That is my prediction. Also on this card, we get Kevin Holland versus Tim Means. Kevin, um, I don't know if I said this already, but this card will be in Texas. So for Kevin Holland fighting in his home state against Tim Means, Tim Means and Kevin Holland, this is going to be another fight where these two dudes are going to go in there and fight, and it's going to be close probably. And both these guys are going to fight hard to go out there and get a win. Big fan of Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland is a relatively big name in the UFC. And he still fights guys like Tim Means and Cowboy Oliveira. So respect to him for that. There's a lot of guys who would use their kind of status as, you know, um, Holland's not a superstar, but like I said, he is well known. So a lot of guys would use that to their advantage to try and get some easier fights. Not Kevin Holland. Tim Means, Cowboy Oliveira, all very difficult difficult fights. So that's another one to look out for. And depending on what else is on that June 18 card, what else get, gets added, that could be a really, really good fight night card. And then moving to July, July 2nd, we had Casey O'Neill versus Jessica I. However, Casey O'Neill tore her ACL, and she's going to have to take some time to recover, obviously. Stepping in will be Macy Barber. So, um, this is this is a shame. Um, not that Macy Barber versus Jessica I is a bad fight. However, it would have been nice to see Casey O'Neill get someone a little bit higher in the rankings. I think she has earned that, and I think most people would agree with me on that. So, um, it's a shame to see one of the brighter prospects in that division um out with an injury but you know in the fight business people are going to get injured and there's really not too much you can do about it however congratulations to macy barber for being ready to step in she still has some time she's still got a decent amount of time to prepare um and macy is a former top prospect in her own right and is also very talented, so this is also a very good opportunity for her as well. Moving on to July 23rd, we have three fights on July 23rd, and this card will take place in London at the O2 Arena. I'm glad to see the UFC is going back to London. Um, the last set of fights that they had in London was a tremendous card, um, tremendous fans who who really made that night special. So it's great to see the UFC returning to London um, and so quickly. You know, they didn't take a year or a year and a half. They're right back after a couple of months. And looking at what we have, they made the main event, Tom Espinal versus Curtis Blades. This fight is a great fight. I really like Tom Espinal in this division. I think he has championship potential. Curtis Blades is someone who is improving with every fight. You know, even in the fight where he got knocked out by Derek Lewis, you can look back at that and go, wow, his, you can watch up until the point where he gets knocked out and you can say to yourself, 
his striking has really improved. And then going out in his last fight, um, I can't even remember who he fought. It wasn't even that long ago, but he had a tremendous um, finish in that fight, knocked his opponent out, and was it was it Derek Lewis? Why am I blanking on who he fought? Chris Dowskis, my apologies. He's coming off when he lost to Derek Lewis, obviously. That was stupid. But um, after his loss to Derek Lewis, he comes out and he gets a decision victory against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Jarzinho's a good name in that division. And he went out there and out-wrestled him for three rounds. Then he goes in and gets a knockout against a great striker in Chris Dawkins. So um, Curtis Blades has earned a fight in the top portion of that heavyweight division. So has Tom Aspinall. So these guys are ranked 4th and 6th. And we do have another fight that was booked in the top three. We will discuss that when it comes time. But um, this fight is going to be very meaningful in that heavyweight division. We still need a couple cards to unfold and be played in that heavyweight division. We don't know what's going on with Stipe, Francis Ngannou, or John Jones. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We don't know if the UFC is going to be able to resign Francis. We don't know if Francis wants Francis wants to box Tyson Fury. We don't know um, if John Jones is going to return. We don't know if the UFC is going to give John and Stipe a um, interim title fight while Francis recovers from his knee injury. So there's a lot of what ifs at the top of the division. So it's hard to say what um, where where Espinal and Blaze will sit after this fight, but the winner will be in a very good spot. They will be at minimum top four and possibly top three or top two, depending on the performance and, and how that division plays out. Moving on to what I assume is going to be the co-main event of this card is Darren Till versus Jack Hermanson. I think this is a really good fight. Darren Till, I, I love to see him fight in London. He has fought there before, and he has performed well and has performed not so well in London. But um, the crowd in London loves him, so I think it's a good spot to be in. And Hermanson and Till are ranked 7th and 8th, so theoretically, just based off the rankings, that's good matchmaking. But um, you also have guys coming off losses who are looking to get back on track. Putting both those guys up against one another provides somebody the opportunity to get back on track and I think that is what both of these guys need and then the winner will be back in the upper echelon of that 185 pound division whether that means they fight Paulo Costa, Derek Brunson, Sean Strickland, Vittori, maybe even Cannoneer um, depending on how his fight with Izzy goes you know there's going to be a lot of options for the winner of this fight um because there are currently three guys tied at fourth. So that really mixes up the division. And obviously, depending on who wins, you know, Till probably wouldn't rematch Brunson if he were to win and, and so on. But um, same with Hermanson, probably wouldn't rematch Strickland if he were to win. But um, a win for either of these guys would get them back on track and get them back at the top portion of that division. And that's very good to see, especially for someone like Till, who's been injured, and Hermanson, who hasn't... Um, I think he actually has been injured as well. 
and and didn't perform as grew as as well as he could have in his fight against Sean Strickland. And then the last fight they made for that July 30th card was Nikia Kurlov versus Alexander Gustafsson. This is going to be at 205 pounds. And that's important because if you don't know anything about Alexander Gustafsson, Gustafsson fought for the belt two or three times, I believe. He fought John twice, and I think he fought Cormier once, if I am remembering correctly. Um, that was a long time ago, so I may be off. However, um, he had a very good and long run at that 205-pound division. He retired, came out of retirement, and said he was going to fight at heavyweight. The heavyweight experiment has not gone as well. So he is going to be going back to his 205-pound weight class to take on Nikira Kurilov. And Kurilov is a good entry back into that 205-pound division. I'm glad they didn't throw him in there with someone like Magomed Ankalev, Alexander Rochik, Anthony Smith. You know, I, I don't think that you need to throw him in there with someone in the top 10. Kurilov, just outside that top 10, makes a lot of sense. Could have also done Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, Jimmy Crute. Would have liked all those, but I am not going to complain at all with Alexander Gustafsson versus Nikia Kurilov. And if he goes out there and performs well, he will probably be back in there with someone like Smith, Santos, Reyes, someone of that upper echelon. And then that was what? Oh, that was the last fight on July 23rd in London. The following weekend, we will have Derek, Le Derek Lewis versus Sergey Pavlich. And I wasn't. Um, necessarily thinking this was the fight that was going to get booked. I was very impressed with Sergei Pavlich's most recent fight. I thought we were going to see him against someone like Alexander Volkov, Jorzenia Rosenstrike, Marcin Tabora, Chris Dauskas, someone like that. Um, the UFC decided to push him a tier above and go Derek Lewis. So congratulations for Sergei Pavlich on getting in that opportunity. And for Derek Lewis... This really shows like, hey, I'll fight anybody, you know. That is a big move for Derek Lewis because he could have, you know, said I'll fight Jarzinho, who's a little bit higher ranked, or a, a rematch against Volkov, or, you know, someone like in that category. But instead, he decided to go all the way down to the 11th spot in those rankings and take on Sergey Pavlich. A lot of guys ranked fifth in the world would not be willing to fight the 11th ranked fighter in the world. So... All due respect to Derek Lewis for taking on that fight. And that's going to be a really good fight. Um, I can see either of those guys getting a win. And I think very highly of Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlich. So I'm going to be interested in that one. And then the last fight booking that we have is Tai Tuivasa versus Surreal Khan. This is the fight that I mentioned earlier being booked in the top three of that heavyweight division. And right now it's going to take place on September 3rd. And they're saying it's going to take place in Paris. That is not 100% official, but that is the goal. The UFC would like to go to Paris and have Surreal Khan headline that against someone like Tai Tuivasa, who is also a big star. That would be a massive event. I assume the UFC would go out there and, and add some more French talent to that card. They would add some probably more French fighters to the roster. I look at guys like Morgan Cherrier over in Cage Warriors. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed some guys like that 
to make their UFC debut. Those are some very talented guys who are French, and I think Chiarier leads that pack. Um, I think also Sanir Laïs, there's another guy at 145 pounds who's French, who was fighting in CSW. Um, I think it was uh, his last name was Lainez. Um, if I remember correctly, he hasn't fought in a while. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they add some more French talent for that card. Now, um, Gan and Tuivasa makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised that they decided to book these two before, and I guess the same goes for Aspinall and Blades, but I'm I'm kind of surprised they decided to book these guys prior to solving the issue at the top end of heavyweight. I thought we were going to see uh, a Stipe booking, a John Jones booking, you know, something that kind of clarified what was going on at the top half of, or the top tier of that division. Instead, we're getting something, we're getting two fights and that don't have titles attached to them and don't have any big names attached to them. So that kind of limits the options of what you can do with Stipe and Francis and John. Um, so I think maybe that really goes to show that they're working hard on making Stipe and John and think that's a possibility. Um, that fight has been rumored, and I've seen tweets about it. Nothing from... I haven't seen anything from anyone to make me believe it's going to happen. I've seen people who are talking about it who are the same people who were talking about it when it was going to happen last year. So um, by no means is that fight 100%. And when there's about four guys I trust with fight news, and um, if one of those four report on John Jones versus Stipe, I'll be here talking about it. But until then, I think that fight is still a ways from being official. And that is the last fight booking. Now we are going to talk about one quick weight class change, and that is Dan Hooker is going back to 155 pounds. And he said that he could still make the weight and the weight wasn't the issue. However, his thought process was, hey, why would I go back down to 145 when I just lost pretty badly to Arnold Allen? And if I go, what he said was he's at a similar position at 145 as he is at 155, which is true. Um, the whole point in going down a weight class is to fast track a title shot, which he would, would have had that opportunity to do if he would have won that fight. But with the loss, that fast track is now gone. So there's no point in cutting the extra weight. Might as well return to 155. I like the logic. If you're going down, there's no reason if you lose to stay down. You might as well go back up to a weight class that you have had success at in the past. Four fight bookings. Um... I believe that he probably will not get a ranked opponent, and that is not necessarily a bad thing. I think getting Dan Hooker back in the win column is a solid, solid um, thing. He's currently still ranked number 13 at lightweight, which is interesting. Uh, he probably shouldn't be ranked because his last fight was at 145. And on the opposite side of that, there was someone else who was still ranked. Marlon Moraes is still ranked at 135. Um, I'm making this on Monday, but those Marais retired a couple weeks ago, so I imagine he'd be out by now. Um, I'm not sure why the rankings look like that, but it's whatever. And, you know, right now Dan Hooker is sitting at 13. You know, he's got Matus Gamera and Armin Sarukian at 11 and 12, and he's got Brad Riddell and Diego Fajeda at 14 and 15. Rafael Fiziev at 10 too. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC tries to tries to do something similar that they did with Arnold Allen. If you can put Dan Hooker in there with someone like Fazeev, and that would give Fazeev a, a big name on his resume. You could say the same for Brad Riddell, Gamrot, Armin, all those guys. But I could also see them moving him outside of the rankings and trying to get him back on track against an unranked opponent. Um, one interesting fight right away, if you're going unranked guys, Bobby Green. I think Bobby Green versus Dan Hooker is going to be a brawl and a fun fight. Um, Drew Dober, interesting. Tiago Moises, interesting. Hanato. Hanato Moicano, I believe, is unranked. There's an interesting aspect to that. Those are all very talented guys. You're not going to get any untalented fighter for Dan Hooker at 155 pounds. That's just not going to happen. You could also look towards like a Mark Manson, Dracar Close, Grant Dawson, who we talked about earlier, that has quite the win streak going. So those are all um, some names that I wouldn't be surprised to see Dan Hooker booked against. But... Um, I said a lot of names, so I'm not really overconfident in the direction they want to go with Dan Hooker. And then the last thing we are going to talk about is that Izzy and Cannoneer are rumored to have that contract finalized. This isn't major news. Um, what I saw was that the tweet, you know, the date isn't official. The location isn't official yet, but apparently they have signed contracts. I don't know how true that is. Um, but the, even if that is true and, and it's all signed, sealed, and delivered, um, I wouldn't necessarily classify that as a surprise. Um, I think the date is what we're all looking for on that Izzy and Cannoneer fight, as everyone is expecting that to happen. And that's the last piece of news that we have for today's episode. So I hope you enjoyed um, kind of a quicker episode since we didn't go into UFC 274. Like I said, um, that will be posted by Friday at the absolute latest. I'd like to have it recorded and, and hopefully edited by Thursday so um, I can get that a little bit earlier to you guys. But um, I kind of like doing it that way a little bit more, especially when it's a big fight like a pay-per-view. Um, that way, instead of having one hour-long podcast, it's kind of a 40-minute and a 30-minute or something like that or a 40 and a 40 or, or you kind of depending on how things go. But you get what I'm saying. Um, also spreads it out a little. I think it, I think it's beneficial to both me as the producer of the podcast and to you as the viewer. Um, so I think that works out a little bit better. So that will be up a little bit later in the week. And I'm going to try and do that more often for all of the pay-per-views. I used to do that. Um, I was doing that about a year ago last summer and it, it went well. Um, so I, I want to get back into recording that way for this summer again. Also, now that it's summer, I'm looking to increase the activity on Twitter and TikTok. So um, look out for those. And if you don't follow those social media accounts, it's HeadKitKO Podcast. Same logo as this podcast, so you will know when you find it. Um, so I'd appreciate it if you go follow those. And make sure you like and subscribe if you're listening on YouTube. But most importantly, thank you for listening to the Headkit KO podcast. I hope you enjoyed, and we will see you later this week for the next episode. Goodbye.